Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here back in Belfast and uh, bring you the greetings of the church family back in Dundee also. Uh, these are momentous times that we are living through. And uh, I'm going to keep to the passage that the elders gave me to preach on, because I think it is in a strange way particularly relevant to where we find ourselves today. Uh, we do remind ourselves that nothing ever happens out with the sovereign control of God. And in our lives and in our interactions with people such as they will be over days to come, we're going to be asked questions, I think. And uh, of course, when we are asked these questions about the kinds of things that are happening today, uh, the first place we go is the nature of God. And we remind people that he is perfect in all his ways. And although there are questions that remain for us, having established that God is perfect in all his ways, we then point people to the cross where Jesus Christ entered into our world and suffered and died for all who will come to him. And so we go with confidence into this next phase because our confidence is not rooted in ourselves, but it is rooted in God. And we are looking to the cross and we also remind ourselves that huge, huge advances in the first century took place at times of real difficulty in the ancient world when Christians were found to be the people who reached out to their neighbors and did the things that others wouldn't. So now is the time for us to step up and to make those connections with people that need to be made and to help wherever we can because we should, but also because we belong to Jesus. And it seems particularly pertinent to me that the Lord Jesus Christ could pick up someone like Peter, who made so many errors and mistakes in his life, and use him powerfully for the gospel and pastorally for God's people. Let's read together in John's Gospel chapter 18. Let's start at verse 12. Jesus has been arrested. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and did as did as did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, "You also." are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching and Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? 
Ask those who have heard me what I said to them, and they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. These are poignant words, aren't they? As we are reminded afresh about Peter's denial of his Lord Jesus Christ. I once prayed, played for a below-average amateur football team. The only consistent thing about us was our inconsistency. And um, at the beginning of one season, we decided that we were going to ask someone for sponsorship. And uh, so we agreed to do this. And so we approached uh, a gentleman that we knew. He was a kind man. He was a generous man. He was a good man. He was a Christian man and a company owner successful company owner. So we approached him for sponsorship for our football team. Now, we knew him, um, but the problem that we had was that he knew us, if you know what I mean. And so we tentatively approached him and said, look, would you sponsor our team? And so he said, I'll think about it. So anyway, a little time elapsed and he came back to us and said, okay, lads, I'll sponsor your team with one condition, that you do not attach the name of my company to your kit. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of us. Now, why do I tell you that story? It's simply because this morning we're looking at someone like Peter. Ah, but the truth is nearer to home. We're thinking about ourselves as well, aren't we? Isn't it, isn't it totally amazing that God, in his infinite wisdom, would rule that it is through the church his manifold wisdom is to be made known? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it astonishing that the Lord Jesus Christ would seek in his kingdom ministry to partner with dudes like us, failures like us, failures like Peter, but he does for his glory. And in the coming weeks and months, we're going to feel our weakness. And we're going to feel our lack of ability to do things. Well, good. Because those are the kind of people that God can use in his power. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That God in his infinite wisdom chooses to use people like us for his glory. It's amazing. And more than that, Hebrews 2, our brother read it this morning and I was delighted that he did, that he is prepared to identify with people like us as brothers and sisters. When I think about the below average 
state of my Christian life at times. I'm so grateful for God's grace and patience towards me. If acceptance with God or God's identification with us was performance-based, we'd be up the creek without the proverbial, wouldn't we? Why does God choose, Ephesians 3, that it is to be through the church that his manifold wisdom is to be made known? Could it be that his glory is best seen through the prism of weakness? Could it be that the whole redemptive purpose of God can best be displayed through wrecks like us? Many of us just love Peter. I know I do. I'm longing to meet Peter. Many of us love Peter because I think we see ourselves in him at times. Who else could go from hero to zero the way Peter did? Matthew 16, Jesus asked, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And it is, of course, Simon Peter who answers, you're the Christ, the son of the living gods. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my, my, my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I can imagine the other disciples who knew Peter looking at Peter and looking at Jesus and thinking, Wow, this is Peter. You know, I don't know why, but it, it took me back when I was studying theology. We had to do our philosophy class as well, and I remember sitting in Dr. Hicks' philosophy class, and he asked a question, and I answered it, and I got it right. And my friend Mark, who was probably more surprised than I was, leaned forward and tapped me, and he said, Jimmy, did you really grasp that there? Three years of philosophy, one moment of clarity. (laughs) I think the disciples would have been looking at Peter and thinking, wow, where did that come from? Jesus tells us it was revealed to Peter by God. And then in Peter's story, we know what happened next. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. As we said at the beginning, from hero to zero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Peter's world. And welcome to our world, too. Because isn't this just like we are at times? Flying high and then... solo. That said, there is something so winsome about this man. You just can't help loving him. If we were picking our sides for a football match, we'd want him in our team. His passion is wonderful. And if we're going to understand God's work in Peter and God's work in us, there is a section of Luke's gospel that I think is the interpretive passage for understanding Peter. 
but more than that, of understanding God's work in Peter, because that's the key. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus predicts before it happens that this is going to happen. And yet he also tells Peter and the the others that this will not be the end. You see, God is the redemptive God. And he redeems people. Jesus upon the cross. Galatians 4 tells us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. But God not only redeems people, he redeems circumstances too. All things are not good, but he works them together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. God is not the author of wrong. He can never be the author of evil, but such is his sovereign nature that he can bend back mistakes and circumstances for his glory and for our blessing. Never forget that. Our God is the redeeming God. And Jesus knew the path that Peter was going to take. And he said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I tell you something, Peter would do that. Peter would do that very thing. There is something very precious, although often we have to live with the consequences of sin and shortcomings of knowing that our God is the redeeming God. Through Peter's experiences, God did something that would last. You see, it's not really about what happens to us in life. It's about how we respond to it. And so, as the old examination questions used to say, you know, compare and contrast Peter with Judas. Judas hung himself. Peter eventually would weep his way back to Jesus. And if we come away today thinking what a great man Peter was, well, there's a good chance that we've missed the point. For this is not ultimately about Peter, but about God's work in and through Peter to the glory of God himself. John 18, Peter is lurking, isn't he? He's outside the high priest's courtyard and he's recognized by another disciple and brought in and almost immediately he's rumbled. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Boom, strike one. And while this is happening, Jesus is being interrogated. Then the drama increases as Jesus is struck in the face. And one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one, are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Boom, strike two. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? And again, Peter denied it. Strike three. And at once, a cock crowed. Luke 22 tells us the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked 
at Peter, and Peter remembered. Remembered what Jesus had said. But by God's grace, Peter's denial would not define him. And our failures never finally define us if we are in Christ. Just two things in short compass this morning. Powerful ministry that Peter would be given by God at a strategic time, binding and loosing, keys of the kingdom, all of that stuff, but also pastorally powerful too. You read the pastoral epistles that Peter wrote and you'll see a thread of grace running through them because this man understood what grace is. Powerful, first of all. All this happens in Peter's experience and is set within the sovereign purpose of God for him and the mission of the church. Matthew 16, in response to Jesus' question as to who people said he was, we know what Peter said. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this has not been revealed to you. Uh, this has been revealed to you by my Father. And I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, Petros, stone. And on this rock, Petra, rock, cliff edge, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is looking at Peter as he says this. Clearly Jesus is investing Peter with authority. But Peter is looking at Jesus, the one whom he has just confessed as Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know from Scripture that Peter, along with the other apostles, would be foundational in a sense. But always, 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 Peter spoke of Jesus as the cornerstone upon which the church will be built. Uh, Ephesians 2, 19-20, if you're taking notes. Peter himself, in 1 Peter 2, quoting Isaiah 28, said this, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter nowhere, nowhere in Scripture, sees himself as the supremo. This is just not his understanding. If you were to say to Peter, on whom is the church built? He would have said, Jesus Christ. The binding and the loosing have to do with gospel assurance or otherwise that Peter and the rest of them can bring. Peter is a, a representative apostle here who is given this role. He's given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you this morning, what do keys do? They open doors. They open doors. And that's exactly what we find Peter and the others doing in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, in Acts 2, we find Peter in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And what is he doing? He's opening the, the Jewish door. They're gathered there for Passover. 
And he says to this Jewish background group, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This was radical teaching. This is for you, he says to his Jewish compatriots. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for all whom the Lord will call because they all come the same way. Hearing the gospel, repenting, believing, being baptized and included in the body of believers. Peter is using the key to open the kingdom to the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 8, Under Christ, Peter, along with Philip, John, and the others, they put the gospel key in the Samaritan door. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, some people say, well, why did that happen? Very good reason why that happened, because if, if the Samaritans had gone their own way, we would have had two churches. So it took the apostles to come down from Jerusalem so that the Spirit might fall to show that they were all one in Jesus Christ. And again we see Peter using the key to open the kingdom to the Samaritans too. And then there is Cornelius. And the wonderful vision that is given to him, or to, to Paul, about Cornelius. And the struggle that Peter has. He had never eaten anything unclean. But when he gets it, and he puts the key in the Gentile door this time, again the Spirit falls, confirming the word of Christ. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the words and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. You bet they were. They were living in dramatic days and seeing things that they had never seen before. The keys of the kingdom being used to Jew, to Samaritan, to Gentile. It's remarkable. Time and again, we find Christ by the Holy Spirit glorifying the Father through the ministry of one Peter who understood what it was to sense and to know God's grace. At a strategic time, In the life and times of the New Testament church, God is using this weak vessel in so many ways for his glory. I wonder how God is going to use us in days to come. Could we be embarking upon something that is really dramatic in the advance of the gospel? Is God shaking the foundations today? so that he might shake the foundations of the confidence of those who hold the ideologies that are taking the whole of society to the pit. Could we dare to believe that a God hunger will descend upon the UK and Ireland? 
Could we see the advance of the kingdom in our day? Pray God we will. Yeah, I just, I'm so moved by this. That Christ takes up this failure of a man called Peter. And he uses him for his glory. And secondly, one of the things that you find about Peter is how the Lord used him pastorally. Here in the Gospels you find the fiery Peter, the impetuous Peter, the Peter who, as they would say back home, jumps in with his big muckle feet. But when you read Peter's epistles, different. Here is the man now who has been molded by the Holy Spirit and now who exerts this beautiful pastoral oversight of the churches that he has under his care. You know, with good cause, Peter has been called the Apostle of Hope. One Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Do you know why Peter wrote that? It's because he had grace and peace multiplied to him. He knew that grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. H. Twell's hymn comes to mind that those who fain would serve thee best are conscious most of wrong within. In 1 Peter 1, Peter speaks of hope. Maybe because he remembered when he had lost it, when, when he looked into that abyss. You know, I, we were talking about this with our, our church family this week. We, we go along week after week meeting as, as brothers and sisters in Christ here. And it looks like now for a while that's going to be removed from us. I'm heartbroken. But here Peter looked into a deeper abyss. as he remembered those days when he lost hope and felt so distanced from Christ. In chapter 1 of Peter's first epistle, he calls us to holiness, perhaps remembering his own black-heartedness that had been exposed. He thought he was so, so strong, but actually he was very, very weak. And it didn't take too much a wee servant girl to expose it. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he encourages fellowship, recalling how he had felt in the dreadful detachment from his Lord and his denial. Imagine how Peter felt after those three years of intensive fellowship with Jesus and his brother disciples. 
And here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he has a profound Christ focus. Christ as, as cornerstone, as he refers to him, is surely a window into his thinking indeed. How precious Jesus was to him. And then in chapter 3 of his epistle, he speaks of the suffering of Christ. For Christ suffered for him to cleanse him and to cover up his unrighteousness. was writing these things, he was feeling these thoughts. Chapter 4, he says, be stewards of God's grace because he had come to know grace abounding in his life. Chapter 5, he talks about shepherding the flock. And as I said before, the brashness is gone. And he speaks so tenderly about the flock under his care, for he has experienced the tenderness of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, God's choosing of his church for his kingdom work is amazing. God's choosing of us for his kingdom's work is astonishing. God's glory is seen through the prism of our weakness as we yield ourselves to him. God's redemptive purpose is displayed through wrecks like us. I keep going back to John Newton's famous comment where he said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very, very clearly, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. And he is. He is a great saviour. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's what Peter did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerfully in the gospel. Pastorally to those in the church that he loved. Because Jesus wasn't finished with them yet. Don't you remember that lovely part of Mark's gospel right at the end? Where Jesus has risen. And the message is given. Go tell his disciples. And Peter. Isn't God so gracious? Isn't God so gracious with us? To those to whom God's grace has been abounding, we are to be instruments of grace where God has placed us. Peter goes from courtyard, John 18, to the pastoral epistles, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. This is the work of God. He restores and he redeems. And I wonder for us, is there a need for, in these days, humility? Is there a need for confession? Is there a need for restoration that we, in this day and at this time, might be prepared for what is to come.
that we would know what we are. Weak but yielded, like Peter. That God might use us for his glory powerfully in the gospel and pastorally for the building up of his church. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, I urge you over the next phase to stay close to Jesus and to stay close to each other and to pray and to work for the glory of God, the God who is the redemptive God, who can redeem failures like Peter and redeem circumstances like this. Maybe you just want to take a moment of quietness just to commune with God. Maybe confess your own failure. Ask him to renew you by his Holy Spirit. And to use you for his glory. Father God, we thank you and bless you for examples like Peter. But behind Peter, we see your hand at work. And this gives us great encouragement, Father. We thank you for the honesty and the integrity of your word that helps us to see the way forward through our failures too. Use as we ask for your glory alone. In Jesus' name.